Good morning. My name is Ryan Zellner, and I am a pastor over at Grace Fellowship Church in Costa Mesa. I'm in charge of missions and home groups, and so it's a real pleasure for uh, myself. Anytime you guys invite me to come to Taft, it's an absolute pleasure, so I just want to say thank you. And before I get started, I want to say it is Nate Hill's 14th birthday today. So I just, you know, before we get into it, let's give it a round. Turning 14 is harder today than it was when I was turning 14, so I will give you uh, credit for that. Uh, this is my third time here. Uh, the first time I was here, there was a wheelchair right there halfway through the sermon. It broke free and it crashed into the stage. The second time I here, we had to call the ambulance. Um, and so for my third time here, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to lament uh, in the Psalms. And so just, I, I, I think it's appropriate. Um, our, you guys are in the Psalms. Our, my church is also in the Psalms. And uh, our pastor a couple weeks ago was talking about if he could summarize the book of Psalms, it would be two words. It would be bring it. Uh, this, is, this is God's um, allowing us to bring all of our emotions, anything um, that you have, you can bring it to him. He's big enough to handle that. I know that you guys are um, looking at the Psalms from Ephesians uh, 3.19, this idea of discovering the fullness of God. He reveals his character in the Psalms. And so, um, man, I, I just thought I'd start by sharing this this quote by Calvin, John Calvin. It says, I have been accustomed to call this book an anatomy of the soul. For the, there's not an emotion of which anyone could be conscious that there is not here represented as in a mirror. The Holy Spirit uh, <coughs> here is drawn to the life, all the griefs, sorrows, fears, doubts, hopes, cares, perplexities, in short, all the distracting emotions with which the minds of men are wont to be agitated. It is certainly a rare and singular advantage when all lurking places have been discovered and the heart is brought into the light, purged from the most baneful infection, hypocrisy. So the psalm holds all these things, but it's it, not hypocrisy because we are allowed to come to God. And so let's go to God right now. I'm going to pray and then we're going to kind of jump into what I have with Psalm 56. Uh, Lord, I I want to come before you as, as we talk about this, this psalm and how you let us wrestle with fear. And, and you instruct us through this fear. There's a, there's a pathway through it as David expressed and experienced, God. So will you be with us and bring to mind the things uh, that you bring to mind today that would allow us to not only put our faith and our hope and trust in you more, but Lord, that we'd have an opportunity to worship you uh, today, and that you would feel the praise from our lips, and, and that we would feel that much closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, psalm 56 is a little bit of a heavy psalm. Um, I picked it, and then I felt like I've been living in a parable of the psalm uh, for the last two weeks. So two weeks ago, my wife went down with COVID pretty hard, and I had to stay home and take care of her, take care of the kids, uh, missed work. And then uh, this last week, my grandfather passed away at 93. And so uh, I had some shoulder pain that I, I kind of was seeking medical attention on uh, the last two weeks. And so uh, in some way, I, I put myself in the psalm. And I'm hoping that you'll put yourself in the psalm as well. And so I'm going to ask you three questions 
during the course of the sermon that I want you to contemplate and, and, and get real with God about. Um, uh, the psalm, if you look at it, uh, at the top, it says, the psalm was set to the tomb of a dove on distant oaks. So I'd love to just sing that tune right now. <laughs> uh, this probably was uh, a tune that was well known, just like we know, row, row, row your boat, and yet, but if nobody sang row, row, row your boat for, let's say, 2,000 years, uh, nobody would know the tune to that. And, and so I'm just having fun. But I, as somebody who likes to network people, I thought I would give you a resource on the Psalms. And so there is a, a website called Every Psalm, and there is a group of people looking to record all the Psalms to music. And so I just thought, as you're driving, or you are having a quiet time with the Lord, um, y- you can look it up. It's called everypsalm.com. It's also, if you stream music, um, it's on there. You just start plugging in the psalm that you're looking to listen to, Psalm 56 in this case. I have a little snippet just to give you a sense of what it's like if you play that for me. Are they not in your book? For this I should know that God is for me. I will put my trust, I will put my trust in in the God is word I pray. I will put my trust, I will put my trust in, I will not be afraid, I will put my trust, I will put my trust in. So that's a resource that, that I thought I'd throw at you in the very beginning, because when you're going through a hard time, like I was going through a hard time the last two weeks, listening to this over and over again, it just, it was centering for me. And the reason that I picked this scripture in the first place is because I had been mulling over this idea that if we worshiped God more, if we just became better at worshiping God, a lot of the troubles and the fears that we would have that we focused on would just kind of fade away. And so when Craig asked me to come preach and he said, we're in the Psalms, I I selfishly picked a psalm that focused on this idea that we need to elevate our worship. We need to elevate the way that we praise God and we give him thanks. And if we do that, then God will be faithful in showing that he is on the throne and that everything is is being run according to him, and we don't need to fear. And so that's what Psalm 56 is about. I have one last aside, and in my Bible, which is NIV 84, um, When I was at Biola with Craig and Kelly, there was a popular verse amongst the ladies at Biola. And uh, it it wasn't their theme verse, but but it was be like, hey, if you could pick a verse that described what you're going through right now, um, they would pick Psalm 56.1, but they'd only get the last part. It says, for men hotly pursue me. And so there was a lot of single women at Biola, and this was their, their theme verse, for men hotly pursue me. So uh, that's out of context. Um, so I thought we'd jump into the context uh, first. And the setting, uh, this psalm comes from when David, uh, it's actually from 1 Samuel 21, 10 through 15. Uh, David has a lot going on. He's running from Saul. He's fearing for his life. Um, he made a stop at uh, Nob. And he talked to a priest, and, and he talks to this priest, and he goes, hey, uh, do you have any weapons? And he's like, well, I've got this one sword, and it just happened to be 
a Goliath sword? And he goes, yeah, that, that sword will do. And so he, he straps the sword to his back and he heads on out. And he ends up in Gath, with, which is Philistine country. And he's, he thinks, man, I'm going to hide away from Saul. Saul will never think that I'm in the Philistine country. That's the last place he looks. But, but he's walking into Gath with a Philistine sword on his back. And everybody knows Goliath's sword. And so it's a dead giveaway, in my opinion, that this is the man who killed Goliath. This is David. And so he gets thrown up in, in front of the king and, and starts to be, be accused, and, and he's afraid for his life. And so he pretends to be insane. Here's the, the rightful king of Israel pretending to be insane. Uh, scripture records he drooled in his beard. He scratched the door with his fingernails. And to the point that he was so convincing that the king said, why, why do you even waste my time bringing this madman? I have enough madmen. I don't need another one. And so they just kind of discard him. This is the setting that this psalm is written. And so he wrote a couple of them. And this psalm is pretty easy in scope. It has two parts to it. It has a refrain. And then it has a conclusion. So uh, the, the parts are verses 1 through 4, which appeals to God's mercy. And then the second part is 5 through 11, which appeals to God's uh, judgment. And these parts overlap a little bit. And so we're going to look at them together. And I, I told you already that this is a lament, uh, which is grieving or crying out to God. And the thing that struck me about lamenting is that we just don't have place for this in our culture today. We don't set aside time to grieve or to process our emotions. And um, I, I just want to say it's okay to give yourself permission to spend time intentionally going before God, just offloading everything that you have. Um, and obviously I say that with, these are probably not happy feelings that you're offloading. These are probably frustrations. These are fears. This is anger. These are the different, you know, bad feelings that we can feel. And so this is a psalm of lament. And I want us to begin to get into the emotional weight this, this psalm carries. And so uh, David is writing this because people are literally out to kill him. And so I'm just going to read a couple of verses. I think that's going to get us prepared for that. I'm going to read verses 1 and 2 and then 5 and 6. Be merciful to me, O God, for men hotly pursue me. All day long they press their attack. My slanderers pursue me all day long. Many are attacking me in their pride. 5 and 6. All day long they twist my words. They are always plotting to harm me. They conspire. They lurk. They watch my steps, eager to take my life. I mean, look, look at these words. Another version says, my enemies are in hot pursuit. ESV says, man tramples me all day long. They press their attack. The term all day long shows up three times. This is consistent. This is constant. This is a pressure that he's feeling with no relief. And he says the words that the word adversary struck me. Now maybe you you're walking around and you're living your life and you're like, yeah, I don't have adversaries. Um, maybe some of you do. Uh, but words like attack show up multiple times. Uh, 
What's interesting is that he records his enemies are attacking him both in word and deed. So he has people coming after him to kill him, but then he has people coming after him to slander him. And so the attacks, the things that we can be fearful can come from physical presence or from words. And again, they're all the time. David is afraid. He's afraid for his life. And so much so that he was willing to pretend to be a madman to save his life. And so let's make it personal. I have uh, three questions that I'm going to be asking you. The first question is this one. What and whom do you fear? Verse 3 says, when I am afraid, and then it goes on. But the idea is that we do have this feeling of emotion, uh, of, of fear and being afraid. So what and whom do you fear? Is it financial loss? Is it sickness? Is it personal embarrassment? Maybe you have an adversary like David did. Maybe somebody's not out to kill you, but you have a boss that you think is out to get you, or a coworker, or a spouse. <laughs> a family member. What is it you fear? Now, Scripture says that we do all have one common adversary, and it is Satan. And so I do want to just say that even if you say, man, I've got nothing, then I would just, I would circle back around and I'd go, no, the fact that you say you have nothing might actually be an indicator that you have something, because if you're so comfortable, then Satan has, is winning on that end. And so I, I just want to say that, that we have Satan who says he comes to seek, kill, and destroy. And so he is out there. And so we do have an adversary, at least a common one. Uh, but to be more connected, I would just love for you to spend some time, even past this sermon today, of just going like, man, when do I feel afraid? When do I feel like things are against me? And bring that to the Lord. The center of the psalm has this really intimate moment where God is talking about, or sorry, David is talking about God. And the prayer shifts from talking about his enemies to the closeness that God is to David. And it's in verse 8. It says, record my misery or my lament. List my tears on your scroll. Other versions say, put your you put your tears, my tears in your wineskin. Are they not in your record? Man, God knows everything that David is going through. And there's this tender picture of like, actually God is there every moment that, God, that David is crying in, in fear. God is right there. He's, he's got every tear captured. He's not wasting any of these moments because God is right there for him. That's so intimate. I mean, I didn't even keep my kids' teeth when they lost them, right? Like, God is, is loving David so much that he's capturing all of his tears, that he's recorded everything. Nothing goes missed by God. That is such a, like, 
affirming thought when I go through a hard time or if you're going through the hard time to go like, no, no, God knows exactly what I'm going through and he cares and he's showing compassion to me. Then my enemies, verse 9, will turn back when I call for help. By this I will know that God is for me. David, because he's been walking with God for so long, knows that God is listening and that del- the deliverer is coming. It reminds me of that, um, that line in, um, just thought, just blanked. Chronicles of Narnia, Aslan is on the move, right? So he's in the middle of this problem. It's not fixed yet, but he can go, man, I'm going to call on the Lord and he is going to deliver me. Aslan is on the move. What an intimate God we have. So my second question is, how is God loving you? How are you feeling his love? Whether you're going through something really hard right now or not, how do you know, man, at the end of the day, God is for me, and he loves me, and he is right there with me. Now, maybe it's just enough to hang on to the promises that are in God's word. Romans 8, 31 as if God is for us, who can be against us? Or maybe it's little things, like you wake up early, and you see a sunrise, or you stay up late, and you see a sunset, and you go, man, God is so good. He painted that, and and I love that he knows me, and, and he's made me to appreciate his beauty. Maybe it's uh, that phone call that comes from an, a, a longtime friend that you haven't spoken to in years, and they have a prophetic word for you, or they say, hey, I was thinking about you, how's so-and-so doing, and it sparks this conversation, and you leave encouraged by another brother or sister in Christ. Maybe that's the way that God is, is loving you. Um, I have a, a funny story, but this is my Bible. It's purple, and I got it probably when I was 14. I think it was maroon originally. I've had, it, I've had to fix it because the pages were falling out. And uh, a couple years ago at, at church, we have a lost and found, and it's amazing how many Bibles that get left. I mean, it's sad, but, but I, I'm looking through the Bible collection, and I find this Bible, and I just stop in my tracks, and I go, oh my gosh, this is amazing. So I get up the next Sunday, and I'm doing announcements, and I say, I don't know who you are, but I, I have to meet you, and it's whoever this Bible is, because they got a brand new Bible, and they had their name put on the front of it, and it just says, dude. <laughs> now, how amazing is that? Now, how awesome do you have to be to get a Bible, and you know, I want dude put on the cover. <laughs> and if you know my personality and sense of humor, that alone, if that guy got up and, and grabbed it, and, and I got to meet him, that's enough to make me smile and go, man, God, God is amazing. Turns out, this is the exact same Bible as my purple one. Literally, it's the exact same Bible, just in black, and nobody claimed it. And why wouldn't you want to claim a Bible that says, dude? So uh, I, I go, you know what? Maybe I'll meet the person someday, but if not, I'm, I'm going to use it. And this is the exact Bible that I wanted, and it's the exact color that I wanted. And uh, dude is so funny. So it's now my Bible. And I have just accepted, like, God gives me great favor in this, and he has a sense of humor, and I feel loved by this Bible. 
And so that is just a little way that, that I think God smiles upon us. And it's an affirming way that God is there and he sees and he knows you. Uh, the other day, my daughter was at the breakfast table and I, I told her something like to get dressed or to get ready for the day or something like that. And, you know, it was early in the morning and she had already had a terrible day apparently because uh, she said, I don't want to. And I said, okay. Um, yeah, I know that you don't want to, but this is what we have to do. And she, she's fiery. She's 11 and, and just fiery. And so she kind of like huffs and puffs. And she goes into her room. She closes the door. And what I heard was a child's lament, okay? Because she's talking out loud. And she is saying, I don't want to do this. This angers me. I am furious. And then she goes, I don't even like how I'm responding right now. And then she goes, well, what if God was here? What would he say? And she goes, God is here. <laughs> and he's sad. And she reminded herself of the truth that God is there and God feels for her. He was sad for her because she was sad about what she had to do. But God was also there and sad on the way that she was reacting in anger. And it totally took this young girl who's 11 lamenting in her room. And as soon as she said, how does God feel about this? He's sad. She totally went quiet. It stopped it. Because she tapped into the truth here of reminding herself that God is present and in charge, and it's what, it's him that matters the most. So how is God loving you? Maybe it's just enough in verse 9. The end of verse 9 says, God is for me. Maybe today you need to hear that God is for you. Maybe that's just what you need to hear to keep you going, to keep you focused, to keep you centered, I want, to, I want you to take a look at verse 3. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. Not, I'm never afraid, but when I am afraid. See, fear is good when it keeps us from something, like putting our hand on a stove, and we, we fear getting burned, so we, we don't want to do that. And that's a, that's a good fear. But fear is, is bad when it keeps you from something good or it keeps you from doing something that you know is right. Those are the fears that are just paralyzing fears. Uh, Bob Dylan had a song called You Gotta Serve Somebody. Uh, I think it could have been called You Gotta Fear Somebody. And in this world, we either fear God or man. And just as humans, God created us to fear God and to serve him. But our sin nature has flipped that, and we tend to naturally fear man. And so David finds his way out of the fear in the refrain of the song. And the refrain is found up, I'm going to throw it up here on the, on the board, in verses 4 and then again in 10 and 11. And this is the, the repeating, it's almost like the chorus of the song. And it says, In God whose word I praise, in God I trust, and I am not afraid, what can mere mortal do to me? 
10 and 11. In God whose word I praise, in the Lord whose word I praise, in God I trust, I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? If you include verse 3, there's three praises and three trusts listed in there. And that's, that's the formula that David finds. After living a faithful life, he goes, my vow is to praise and trust in God. And when I praise and trust in God, all those fears just diminish away. Because it reminds him of who's in control, whose hand is over everything, that nobody, no man can do anything to you that God has not permitted or allowed. In my family, when, uh, we've had some bad things happen in our life, and uh, there's a restaurant that we go to to celebrate. And what I mean is, we've gone to this restaurant, it's in CDM, uh, we, we've gone there for birthdays, we've gone there for graduations, we've gone there when uh, we wanted to announce to our parents that we were pregnant, like that's, that's celebration. But we've also gone there when we got word that our landlord was selling the house and we didn't know where to move. And we've also gone there when we've been in big fights and we couldn't find headway in our marriage and we said, well, we're going to go celebrate because, because we're going to praise God. We don't know what he's doing. We don't know how to get our way out of it. Um, and I think we went one time when, when we ended up having to move schools for our daughter because she was having a really hard time. So, so we go there to celebrate despite our circumstances. We go there to celebrate God because he's still God and he's worthy of celebration. And so we go, and I order ribs. It's like a sacrifice, right? <laughs> and it's definitely a sacrifice because it's in CDM. It's Gulfstream. It's really expensive. It's a sacrifice financially. But we go there and we sit down and we go, this is the hardship that we're facing. And it's on, not on us to solve it because God already knows the way out of this wet paper bag. He knows what's going to happen. And so we're just going to celebrate him and we're going to, and then we wonder. We go, I wonder what God is going to do with this situation. I wonder what we're going to say a year from now that's going to bring glory to God. And we do that because in our own flesh, we just want to stick in the first part of like the woe is, woe is me. Look at how much trouble I'm in. And that hasn't taken us anywhere. Out, we offload that to God, and then we celebrate God. And then we put it back on God, and we go, God, what are you going to do? And I'm so excited to see what you're going to do. In fact, we've shared this with our friends. My wife is in a small group. And so when one of my friends lost his job four weeks ago, he had been there 15 years. He was the head of his team. He walks in, and, and the boss says, come sit down and they escort him off the property. And they said, you know what we're gonna do? God is up to something. We don't know what it is. We just got hit. Not only that, she had just quit her job and the owner of their house died and so they were told to move out. So those three things happened in three weeks. They said, we're gonna praise God because he has something for us. And he admitted to me, he goes, look, I would have been at that company for the rest of my life. Nothing was going to change that on my own power. But God has something different. And so he's in the middle of that process. And it's marbled, right? You get 
fear comes in, and when you fear, then you shift to like, nope, I got, I got to celebrate you. I got to focus on the fact that you are in control, and you know what's going to happen, and I just have to be obedient to that. So he's in that process right now. My friend, different friend, a year and a half ago, was the CEO of a nonprofit for 11 years, and he had to part ways. And so we met about once a week for a year. What is God doing? How is this God's plan? And I just kept thinking, and I kept telling him, I think he's saving you from something. I don't know what it is, but this is a good thing. And he goes, Ryan, I got no job. I don't know how this is a good thing, but okay, let's do it. A year and a half later, he is now saying, and this is his story, I could never imagine where I am today. I am so thankful for what God has done this last year because God led to doors and opening doors and not in the traditional way. Like he got no callbacks when he was up applying for jobs. Nobody wanted to, to see him because he was too overqualified in some areas. But he started his own nonprofit, doing exactly what he loves, doing the 10% the of his old job that was the thing that he loved the most was is now a hundred percent of his new job and so he's as they say living his best life just praising God still working super hard still making you know we all have you know work is work but he loves it but it took him a year and a half to get to the other side of that meanwhile he faithfully made the decision to praise the Lord all the way I think lamenting is a little bit like a hula hoop and uh, just hang on with me for a little bit is fear can be this wall that runs all the way east all the way west and it's really high so there's no way over it there's no way under it you can't go around it that way or that way but when you lament it's like you put this hula hoop on this wall of fear and you begin to to outline what it what it is you're really afraid of and then you give it over to God and then he humbles you and as you're praising God and you're trusting God he allows the fear to melt away inside that circle of lament and you can kind of crawl through that lament and get to the other side which is even closer intimacy to God even more faith in God. And that wall of fear, you're now on the back side of it, and you go, oh, it, that wasn't as much as a threat as I thought it was. Because God is bigger than this, and God allows me a way through. And so I just want to encourage you to be honest with God, to remind yourself of God's love, and to choose to praise him in your faithfulness. I was talking to my wife last night, and she's gone through a lot of stuff, and she goes, yeah, when I was in the hospital having my 30 reconstructive surgeries, and that's a different story, but she goes, I had to choose to praise him. I had to choose. I, I feel like it's an act of obedience, and I, and I agree with her that this is the way towards God is through obedience and through praising him. So my third question, and what this passage is begging us, is, is how are we worshiping him? How are you worship, wor worshiping God?
verse 12 says, I am under vows to you, my God. I will present my thank offerings to you. David made it his mission in his life's work to praising God. In this case, with offerings of thanks, it removed all fear and put his focus back on God. There's a great quote um, from Spurgeon's commentary on the Psalms. He says this, He is a happy man who can trust in God when he is afraid, but he is still happier who can say, I will trust and not be afraid. The trusting soul is a singing soul, and it soon becomes a courageous soul. Faith in God drives out fear of man. I'm going to read that again. He is a happy man who can trust in God when he is afraid, but he is still happier who can say, I will trust and not be afraid. The trusting soul is a singing soul, and it soon becomes a courageous soul. Faith in God drives out the fear of man. Let us be courageous souls. In this time of life, you can turn online at any moment if you want more fear. Or at any time, you can open your word and gain more courage. You can listen to the Psalms. You can spend time taking your problems to God in lament fashion, and I promise you that it will bring you to the other side of fear into more courage and faith through worship. Verse 13, and this, this scripture really, th this piece of the passage really uh, just struck me this week. For you have delivered me from death and my feet from stumbling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. So for David, deliverance from death and his feet from stumbling, it was a foreseen presence, meaning he knew that's what was coming. He had promises uh, from God that he would be king, and he knew that God was for him. But really, it is our faith in God that delivers us. He had a promise, but so do we. Romans 8, 28. You guys all know it. If he is for us, who can be against us? He works out all things for the good of those who love him. And so we may never see the end of our adversaries or problems fade in, the, in this life. You might always have that boss that is hard on you. The cancer may not go away. You will get sick again. Jobs come and go. Relationship strife happens. But God will always walk you through those obstacles. He is always present. In fact, the back part of that verse is that I may walk before God in the light of life. Now, that's a very, very familiar passage. Through, uh, th th that theme throughout Scripture is everywhere. Psalm 23, he guides me along right paths for his namesake. Psalm 119, your word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. Even Micah 6, what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. See, my hope today is to show you that circumstances that we are in don't change the reality of God and that he is worthy of all praise. 
However, our focus on faith and trust in God, despite our circumstances, is what begins to shape how we see those circumstances. When we focus on God, God shows you that these circumstances that we are in, the things that are causing all the fear and the anxiety and the rest, he goes, puts his hand on your shoulder and he goes, it's okay, I've got this. And he begins to take that burden off of you. All of a sudden, because Christ now is your focus. And that is our role in life, is to praise God and to shine a light on Christ and to point people to Christ. That's our job. God takes care of the rest. We have Jesus. He's guiding us. He's given us the Holy Spirit. You have God who is next to you, even capturing all your tears, every emotion indeed. He doesn't miss a thing, and he's looking down on you tenderly. And this path of righteousness in, in verse 13 that we talked about, they're going to guide you on that path. There's no way that the Trinity is going to let you go from that if you're like, hey guys, I need your help. Because that's what it means to live in the kingdom of God, is that we get to live this reality of walking with God for now and all eternity. We don't just hang out here in this muck and mire and then get to be up in heaven where everything is all right. It's like his promise is that he is with us in these moments and we can have communion with him and then he can assure you of these things and he can encourage you. And that's what it means to walk in the light of life. I would call this a modern psalm, but there's a chorus of a band that I listen to called Project 86. I don't recommend you listen to them. They're hardcore. But the chorus is this. Let your face consume my mind. Let your face consume my mind. It's a psalm of a lament, a prayer to God. Let your face consume my mind. Because if I can be totally focused on you, everything else, all my problems fade away. I'm totally free in you. Will you pray with me? Lord, I, I just want to pray that your face would consume our minds. That whatever fear and anxieties that we are in, Lord, we know that you are capable of handling those and all of our feelings and our doubts. Lord, that we would just get it out, whether it's through journaling or yelling in the middle of a field somewhere until our lungs have lost breath, Lord, that we would give it to you and then remind ourselves of the, your truth that you are with us and that you love us and that you have sacrificed your son for us. There is nothing that you wouldn't do for us, God. And that, that we would remind ourselves of our place in this world, and that is that we are worshipers, Lord, that we are to give you glory and that you take care of everything else, Lord, that, that we just have to focus on you and give you praise and uh, put our faith in you, God, that, the Lord, your word says we seek first the kingdom of God, and, and everything is added unto it. Lord, you take care of literally everything. And so, Lord, would you free us of these burdens, God? Would we move past the fear and the anxiety into freedom that you have for us, that we get to love you and trust you, and that you would empower us for your work? Lord, this is my prayer 
for myself, this is my prayer for everybody in the room, that as we enter in this time of worship, God, that we would begin to just like taking off an overcoat, just shed these fears and anxieties, especially now, Lord, when the culture is just so riddled that we would be lights just shining so bright uh, in this world because we could traverse the same circumstances as our neighbors that don't know Jesus, but we can show them that there's a better way. Lord Jesus, we love you. Amen.